0: Inspired word of God, and uh, just like working on something, uh, you know, to, to be able to put it back together, to be able to fix it properly, it's nice to have a manual. And uh, I need to go get my manual. Hang on, I'll be right back. And so we looked at the word of God being the manual that God has given us. Uh, to enjoy life, and the fact that maximum freedom, maximum freedom in life is found under the authority of God, and under the authority of God's Word. And today, we're going to look at another core value of Mosaic, and that core value uh, that we are going to be talking about is intimacy with God. And so, uh, don't let all these notes scare you. It'll be alright. i just got to make sure they're in order. All right. Um, And so when it comes to intimacy, when it it comes to really getting to know somebody, all right, I want you to think about this. Um, Can you relate? Has there been anyone in your life that where you developed a relationship with them and you really wanted to go deeper in that relationship, but they wouldn't go? You know, they were polite, they were nice, but they, they just wouldn't go deeper with you. You know, maybe you were in high school or college and you really liked somebody, okay? And it seemed like they liked you and you wanted to take it a step further, but they were like, no, let's just be free. You know, they were polite, they were nice, but they just didn't want to go any deeper. Maybe your parents. Maybe your parents are here today and you've made some mistakes and you've kind of blown it. And you want a deeper uh, relationship with your children, but your children just don't have time for you you know they they just kind of like you know uh, they they're doing their own thing um, and they just don't really want to develop a relationship deeper than it is or maybe you're the kids maybe your parents have divorced or or something's happened and and uh, you have a good relationship with one and maybe you want a a deeper relationship with the other and it, it just seems like you know you go to people's houses your friends houses you see how their parents get along it seems so nice it seems so comfortable and all this and then all of a sudden it's kind of like when you're around your parents, there's this tension, you know, there's this, you just can't relax like you wish you could. You know, maybe it's your marriage. You know, you were you were really friends, you you just like, man, you shared everything, you talked, and then it's like at some point, at some point, you even like the same music, you like the, the same movies, and all of a sudden, somebody just checked out. It's like all of a sudden, you know, um, they're polite they're kind they uh going through the motions you know he's he's providing she's uh, you know cooking he's he's uh, trying to do what needs to be done and around the house and she's taking care of the kids and he's showing up and everybody's just rolling with it everybody's just doing their duty and there's routine and you just hate it because it's routine it, it's like uh, you just want to walk away where I've heard to, uh, many people say, I just want to run, run, far, far away, you know, and never have to worry about it. You keep trying to make it what you think it ought to be. And it just never seems to, to measure up. You check out books, you read books, you go see counselors, you, uh, you do all this stuff, and you're even like, how could this ever have happened to me? How could I ever made this point? Have you ever been there in a relationship where you wanted to go deeper than it actually ever goes? We all have. Isn't it frustrating? Because you can't force them to go deeper with you. You can't make them to be transparent with you. You really can't even make people to have a relationship with you. If you do, that, that kind of makes the news. Just want you to know. You know? <laughs> you know, when they find girls in you know in the basements or they find men in the basements all tied up and everywhere, you know, that kind of makes the news. You really can't force anyone. Okay? And so you want the level of the relationship, you want that relationship to be so comfortable and so transparent where you can relax. And just enjoy to be with them. That's what experience that. It doesn't matter where you are, what's going on. It's just you're always relaxed with that person. Like you feel safe. But at some point, this will happen to you. At some point, And if it hasn't happened yet, it will be. Okay? This may be hard for you to believe, but God desires to have an intimate relationship with you. His creation. But time and time again, creation stiff arms God. They hold Him out here. Okay? They're polite. They're generally casually respectful. But they refuse to go through the level of relationship that God desires for them. And God made a way for us to have that. I mean, God... Pictured in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, as a father who desires a relationship with a son. We know it as the prodigal son. His son says, "I'm going to go and do my own thing." And the, God, and, and the father never gives up waiting on the son. He's there waiting, okay? And he waits and he waits and he waits. Why? because he loves his son. It also portrays God as a good shepherd. He loves his sheep, and the sheep just keep kind of wandering away and doing their own thing and keep breaking off and and keep breaking the shepherd's heart, but he continues to go after them. But he can't force them. We see him in the Garden of Eden where it's like he's walking around wondering, where are they? Because they're hiding, and he's calling out their name. And he's wondering what's going on. The Bible, from cover to cover, describes God as a Father, Heavenly Father. He asks us to refer to Him. A relationship with you that's not casual, that's not respectful, that's not distant. And it isn't just. Around the holidays, okay, it isn't just around an environment where we sit in rows. That throughout Scripture, your heavenly Father, your heavenly Father describes, is described as having a relationship with you that is intimate. Yet for reasons, and we'll talk about this in a minute, for reasons we treat Him respectful and casual, but not intimate when we're close with Him. Look at uh, Revelations three. Revelation chapter three. If you have your Bible, it's one of the easiest books to find. Second easiest book. The first one is Genesis, and the second one is Revelation. Because if you get the maps, just go back to the left, and you, you'll find uh, Revelation there. Revelations chapter three. Um, we'll pick up in verse fifteen. Revelation is written by John, okay, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And here in the first uh, few, we call them chapters, in the first few paragraphs, actually. Uh, John here is writing to different churches, literal churches, that exist, okay? And he's writing to them, and he's, he's talking to them, and he's writing to church people, okay? So this relates to him. He's writing, uh, writing to church people. And uh, in verse 15, it picks up like this. He says, uh, I know your what? Works. You are neither what? old." Cold nor hot. hot. Okay? You're neither cold nor hot. And I would rather you be cold or hot. Alright? I mean, we can kind of relate to this because we've heard that term, right? Mm-hmm. Guys are see a girl think, wow, she's hot. Okay. <laughs> That's not really what the hot is talking about, all right? <laughs> But just the idea, I know your works. I, I know what you're doing. This is Jesus talking to us. I know what you're doing. I know what your life's like. You know, you don't need anything. You've got all this stuff going for you. You're financially, you're doing well, okay? And, and you think because everything is going well, you have money, you have time, it seems like things are going good for you. You have a family, you have a car, you have a house. You have all this stuff going for you. And you think, okay, because it's going good for me, then me and God are like peas in carrots, okay? It's, it's like we've got it together because things are going good. But he says that you're neither hot nor cold. Now, I've heard it described at at times where, you know, it's either you're for me or you're against me. It could be kind of like black and white. But think about it. It's hot right now during the summertime. Do you like cold water? You do, don't you, I mean, people make fun of me because I drink hot coffee on hot days. It could be 100 degrees outside, and I could be sweating from head to toe, okay, in the woods because that's the way my dad was. And uh, I didn't drink coffee when I was young because my mom would let me drink coffee till I was 18. It was prescribed medication, I guess. I don't know. But it's like, you can't have it until you're 18, you know, because the Walker side of the family, we drink, drink coffee all the time, right? Always went to Grandma's house. The percolator was always on. But it the same for my mom's side of the family, the Evans. Every time I went up there, there was always coffee going. But the whole idea was, is that a lot of people during the summertime, they don't want hot. It's hotter, you know? And why would you take a hot shower when it's hot? Because when I step out, it's cooler. <laughs> it's like. But think about it. You know, during the summer, we want something cold and what? Refreshing. <laughs> Refreshing. Refreshing. All right? Hey, run what you open that? supposed to be open this time. So that way there's a fire we can get out and uh, not trample the person in front, try to open the door. Okay, so uh, the whole idea is that, you know, cold water is refreshing, right? Uh, Danny uh, that I work with, he's not here so I can say this. Uh, he has a water cooler and he carries it in his van. And I guess the guys were uh, getting on to him about, where's the ice, you know? Because the water in this cooler is getting like lukewarm, and he's like, well, provide your own ice." <laughs> but we like cold water because it's refreshing. Hot water that helps us too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we have this this city down south. We call it hot water springs. Springs, and what is it known for? Um, the hot water. And what does the hot water do for you if you go get in a hot spring? Relaxing. Yeah, it's supposed to help you. It brings healing. You know, growing up, I've always heard this part of Revelation described as either for God or you're against God. And then somebody once said, well, wait a minute. Think about it like this. God either wants you to refresh you or He wants you to heal you. You know, there are some of us that when you're around them, they just refresh you. They they just make you love life. And, And it's just like, you know... You've been around people who you really don't want to be around because every time you're around them, they just bring you down. You know, it's just, oh, everything's a bummer. They just hate life and da duh And you're like, ah, you know, I gotta go, you know. But when you're around somebody that they're just bubbly and they're just, you know, active and they just, you know, make you love life, you just get real excited about it, that's a cold-type person, cold-water-type person because they're refreshing. They give you, you know, their their cup is not half-empty, it's half what? Yeah, they always have an expectation of what this is gonna be. Their cloud always has what kind of lining? Silver. Silver lining, all right? Then there are those around you that are, they're the healing type people. That no matter what's going on, no matter how bad your world is, no matter how much you're suffering, it seems like when they touch your life, you just feel better. You feel safe. You, you feel like, I can get through this. Because they did. I can do it. Now, I kind of have that perspective when I read this. Because I don't think God, Jesus is telling us, you know, I I wish you were hot or cold. I wish you'd get on or get off. Because I don't think God wants us to get off, get get away from him. I think he wants you to choose something. Either be the half-full type of guy, or or, or be the type of person that is soothing and brings healing to a person's life. And, And the reason I think that is because when you get into this, you see that uh, he goes on and he says this in, uh, where are we at, verse 16? So because you are what? Lukewarm. neither hot nor cold, I want to spit at you or vomit you out of my mouth. You've done that, right? Oh, no. Grab the cup and you drink it. Oh, man, you know. I have to be careful around the guys sometimes which bottle I pick up to drink because it may have something in it that I didn't think was in it. <laughs> <laughs> I was working on my own car, 77 uh, Nova, and I was redoing the power steering pump. I didn't want all the oil fall over the floor uh, of the carport, so I drained the oil into a Pepsi bottle just happened to be drinking a Pepsi bottle at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got it. I, I got him confused. You know, it's like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, you know. So, that, you know, be careful now and sniff and, and all that. But here he's, he's talking the idea that, you know, it's like, man, you're no good to anybody. You're not refreshing. You're not bringing healing. It's like you're not doing nothing. You're just working. Kind of the same picture that Jesus gives us when he tells us the story about the talents? The guy that had five, the guy that had two, the guy that had one. The guy that had one didn't do anything with it. He buried it in the sand and never did anything with it for his whole life until the guy came back. And what did he call him? A worthless servant. A worthless servant. He didn't, do he didn't even put it in the bank it draw interest. He says... So, because you're lukewarm and either hot or cold, I'll just spit you out of my mouth. See, he's talking to Christian people. He's talking to those who are following the way. And and it's not like the idea that, you know, because you're you're cold, you're you're neither cold nor you're hot, I'm I'm just going to kick you out of the kingdom. That's not what he's talking about. Because you're neither cold nor hot, you're not worth anything. You think you've got it all together. Look what he says in verse 17. For you say, I'm rich. We've got it together. I've got money. Okay, I have prospered. I don't need anything. I don't even need you, God. Not even realizing that you are wretched, that you are, what, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You are nothing. You don't realize how bad you are. You think because life is good. Every one of us in this room, we're among the top 4% of the world in riches. You don't feel wealthy, though, do you? But you're in the top 4% of the world for being rich. We think we've got it together. We're prospering. Things are going well. It's easy for us. And Jesus is going, you don't understand. Look how wretched you are. You don't realize how pitiful you are. You don't realize how poor. You're blind. You're walking around. You have a clue what's going on around you. And you're naked. You have nothing. Look at verse 18. Or 19. I counsel you, or to those whom I love. There we go. I cancel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and shame of your nakedness that you may be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Come to me, I'll help you. Go on, he says, those whom I love, I what? I reprove discipline." Parents, you don't want your kids to grow up to be brats, do you? You know, you don't want your kids to grow up and be hated by society because they're worthless. You really want them to do something with your life, and so you disciple them, you discipline them. So be zealous about it, be cold or hot, and repent. Look what he says in verse 20. Behold, I, Jesus is saying, stand at the door of and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him, and he with me. Now, I know a lot of times we've used this verse as leading people to Christ. Jesus standing at the door knocking, and inviting you. He's already talking to those who are following him. He's talking to those who think it all, they have it all together, but they're stiff arming God. They're, they're holding him off at a distance, and he's like, I just want to come in. I just want to come in and have an intimate relationship with you. You know, church people, you think because things are going good that God and I have a good, a good relationship. Instead, he's outside the door knocking. We kind of have the idea that God's outside the door ready to huff and puff and blow your house down if you don't give into to him. But here he's just standing outside the door and he's... You know, God can threaten you. He can. He can threaten you. He can take everything away from you. He can take your kids. He can take your money. He can take your life. You know, God can make you serve Him. God can make you obey Him. But He won't make you love Him. And here is Jesus, pictured on the outside knocking, wanting you to invite him in so that you can have an intimate relationship with him. But we've opted for something different, like most religions. We've opted for something that's second, that, that is characterized not by intimacy, but by obedience. Uh characterized by uh, respect. They opted for religion. You see, religion allows you to treat God respectful, but not intimately. As many of us know, it's an empty thing to just respect God. And yet it's substituting for what God wants for us. Something second, which becomes like a formula. I, I grew up Baptist. And there was a, a typical formula, if you were following God, that, you know, if you wanted God to do your bidding for you, that you needed to go to church, check, you know. You need to read your Bible sometimes, check, you know. You needed, you know, when you sinned and you said, God, please forgive me, you know, check. And then when you really blew it, you're like, okay, God, please forgive me. And, and somehow God, you know, zaps and he forgives us. He gets out his big number two pencil and he erases the, the sin. And then he zaps his mind. He's like, forget it, you know, like, like we think he's this old guy. It's like what? Forget, you know. Like, but the whole idea is that we have this idea, okay, that religion is about getting God to hear our prayers, and that He will do my deal. Which religion is very selfish. It, it is very um, self-centered. How do I find the right formula? To get God to do my bidding. I mean, don't we kind of have that idea? Don't we kind of have that picture? God, if, if if I'll do this and this and this, if, if you'll do this for me. You know, God, if you'll get me out of this situation, then I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll give you my life. I'll submit to you. Alright? The whole idea is that we find ourselves trying to come up with the right formula. Remember a few years back? might have been about 10 15 years ago there was this thing that really kind of blew through the churches this guy wrote a book okay uh, about a, a prayer in the bible it was called the prayer of jabez that's the only time his name is mentioned in the bible which is really intriguing that you know his name was mentioned in the bible just one time and it was about him praying that god would increase his borders and so this thing kind of blew through the churches the idea we just need to pray that god will increase our borders pray that god will increase our borders pray that god will increase our borders and, and, and God will do that. Like, like, if we do it the right way, and, and if we say it the right way, we mean it the right way, our hearts the right way, we believe the right way, then, you know, God will do the bidding for us. Now, I, God mentioned it in the Bible, and there is a reason for that. But the whole idea that if we try to come up with a formula to make God work for us, that's self-centered. That's like, I'm trying to control God, manipulate Him to do my bidding, to do my deal. You know, when we get older in religion, we get judgmental, right? When we get older in religion, we get judgmental. Because I'm trying to do what God wants me to do. I'm reading my Bible, going to church, and dressing right, and driving the right cars, and, you know, trying to train my children right. Then when we see somebody that's different than us, then religion says, well, they're not like us, so we hate them. We don't like them. I remember back in the 80s, that guy was telling me when he first came to church, he came in overalls that were cut-off shorts, you know. He had tattoos all over him, and he walked in the church, and everybody, you know, went, Oh, what's he doing here? Really freaked him out because he wasn't like them. But he said there was one guy in the church that walked up, and said, Hey buddy, upset with me. Had a relation, developed a relationship with him that allowed him. To know God, and this is cool, intimately to the point that he felt called in the ministry and became a pastor. Because he experienced the love of God in no other way than another fellow came, coming to him and saying, Here, come, come me. let me tell you about my God. Because he was searching for something. And he wasn't finding it anywhere else. So religion says. That as I'm getting older, I'm going to get grumpy and I'm going to get judgmental because I'm not doing the things that you're doing because the things that you're doing look like fun and I wish I was doing those, but now I'm grumpy because I can't do those so I don't like you, you know? And yet, because you were trying to be religious, some of us just dismissed religion, dismissed church. Because we are like, you know, in high school or junior high high school, we're trying to do what God wants us to do. And it just like, it wasn't working for us. Our friends are having more fun. So we're like, okay, see you, God. I'll come back to you later when I need you. You know, and we go off and we have fun. We go get a testimony, all right? That's what some people call it. You know? But the whole idea of college, the same way you get into college, you're trying to do the good thing. You're going to the Baptist, you know, unions. You're doing all this stuff. You're going to Bible studies. And it's just like... You know, professors are dissing you and things are just not going right. Your friends are like, God, who's God, you know? And you're like, see you, God, I'll, I'll be back when I need you, you know? And, and so we, we go off, and, and, and all of a sudden it's like, even for some of us, some of our biggest hurt was people in church because of the way they judged us, because of the way they treated us. And so some of you opted, you know, just to walk away. And you didn't realize that it was about love. Like, isn't church about love? And it's like, no, religion is about harnessing the power of God for me. Religion says, if I do the right things, if I change the right way, then God's going to do my deal. And then we get frustrated when God doesn't do our deal. And we get mad. God... You said, if I did this and this and this, that you would bless me. Got it. I'm doing this for you. Then why did this happen to me? And God's like this. Look at John chapter 16, verse 1 through three. John chapter 16. Same line, Writing the story about Jesus. And he comes to the point where Jesus tells us something that's very intriguing to those who are following religion. All right? He said, in verse 1, I have said all these things to you to keep you from what? Falling away. Falling away. I mean, we know that Jesus had thousands upon thousands of people following him. I mean, how many, twice, he fed how many people? 5,000 in one and 4,000 in the other. There were thousands of people following Jesus. And he says here, I'm telling you these things to keep you from what? Falling away. To keep you from turning to religion. Because religion is dangerous. Okay? Religion is, we think we've got it together and we have no clue what's going on. We're wretched. We're poor. We're blind. Look what he says in verse 2. They, talk to us, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. Now, a few years ago, we didn't think anything about that. But now we're hearing all these reports of people from all over the world who are killing people, and they're saying they're doing God a favor. I mean, I remember back in the 80s, there was this guy who blew up an abortion clinic because he felt like he was doing God a favor, killing people, doing what God wanted him to do. The hour is coming when whoever kills you thinks that he's offering service to God. We're like, wow, that's really extreme for people to think that. But there are all kinds of crazy things going on in the world around us, aren't there? I mean, in this formula, In this formula. Look at verse 3. And they will do these things because they have not what? They have not known. They have not known the Father nor me. They do not know. In all my formula, there is respect. There is politeness. But there is not knowing God. You become a stranger to God's way. You become a stranger to God's will. You respect God. Like, I went to Easter's pageant, you know, I gave $100. But he's like, you don't know me. You're a stranger. We become a stranger to God's love. Get this. We perform thinking that we'll get into God's good graces. I did this as a kid. I didn't want my dad mad at me. So I would try to do everything that he wanted me to do so I would be in his good graces. Because, you know, if you messed up, man, there was heck to pay. But the idea was I started treating God like that. God, I'm doing this. That's what the preacher said we needed to do. So I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm I'm trying to do all this. You know, what you what I think you want me to do. I'm trying to perform, but God's going, you don't know me. We believe. Look what I did. I'm better than so and so. They go to church, but I mean, look at their life, God. I got a better life than them. You know, I went to Christmas and Easter services three years in a row. And he's going, but you don't know me. And you say, well, that's the way I was raised. No. That's because you don't know him. Jesus says, that's why people, that's why people do extreme things for God. Thank you. They're doing God a favor. And that God is glad that they're on his team. But in all reality, it's no. You don't know God. You see, four years ago, we decided as a a fellowship of believers coming together to serve God with our broken lives, that one of the most important values, core values that we wanted to put and, and say that we want to work on this was intimacy with God intimacy with God because we don't want to be an institution. Amen. We don't want to be just a religious institution. We don't want people to come and go, okay, what do you want me to do? And how do you want me to do it? And, and I'll do it. No, we, we want you to know God. We want you to know God in such an intimate level that you know His plan and His will. And his purpose, and we think it's the most important value that we can believe. In. Put it like this: knowing God is like knowing people. And there's three things. I'll go through it fairly quickly. Three things that knowing people intimately helps us. The first one is what? Any idea? We always do this, we're always, time, time. Time. Unrushed, unstructured time. If you want to get to know somebody, I mean really get to know them, you need to spend time with them. You know there's been all kinds of pendulum swings in time, you know. There was quality time, there was quantity time, there is, you know, we got to have time. But the idea is to really get to know somebody, you need unrushed, unstructured time. And some of us know that. I mean, there, were, there was a time in our lives where we spent our time with God in the morning. And we felt really refreshed. And we felt, yes, we can, we can God and I can do this. God and I can get this going. And then all of a sudden, things started happening. Things started rolling. It's like all of a sudden now it's like, oh man, okay God, I, I did my quiet time. It took me five minutes. I remember growing up in church and they'd say your quiet time needed to be an hour. That's when commercials were at least two or three minutes. And then as a youth pastor, you know, it's like quiet time's thirty minutes. You know, they started developing these little books, you know, that you could read and, and be your quiet time and and spend 30 minutes with God. It'll help you. And then uh, now it's it's five minutes. Five, ten minutes at the most. I mean, you have the U version; you pull it up on your phone. You can listen to it while you're driving down the road in your car and spend your quiet time with God, which I think is kind of funny turn quiet time when you're supposed to be communicating. You need to know God, you know. But we're going to be quiet about it. Um, and, and so the whole idea is that it's like, wait a minute. He wants time. Imagine this. Could you be like Martin Luther? Who felt like, I really need to grow in my relationship with God, so therefore I need to spend time with God. He would wake up at 2 or 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, depending on how busy his day was. And he would spend all of that time, hours with God, before he started his day. And we're like, Really? I got sleep. <laughs> you know, it's the whole idea. Of like, oh, I can't do it in the morning. I'm just not awake. My Greek professor had had Greek class at seven o'clock in the morning because he said your mind's sharp. Really? I don't think my mind's sharp. You know. But, and the same way with I God, I can't do it in the morning. I really need to sleep. But I'll do it at night before I go to bed. And we're gone Okay. Okay, God, I'm sorry. You know. How many times have we said this prayer? We're going through the prayer. God, help me, help me do this, do this, do this. Uh, oh, God, I'm sorry, I, I, I fell asleep here. Let, let me start praying again. God, I'm, I need this and this and this. And, and we, we never take time to go, what do you think, God? Silence is kind of weird, isn't it? But the whole idea, in in spending time with somebody, you communicate with them, right? It's really not just a one-way communication. If it is, there's not much relationship there, is there? But spending time with them. You can't develop any relationship without time. Number two, transparency. This is scary, okay? This is the scary part. You know why transparency is scary? Because when we become transparent with somebody else, when we kind of open up some of the wounds or some of the areas of our life, those people, when they get mad, have a tendency to do what? Exactly. They're going to use it back at you. They're going to beat you up with it. by like taking your arm off and just hitting you with it. How you, know? <laughs> you do little kids, you grab the arm, and say, quit hitting yourself, quit hitting yourself. You know? I mean, that's what they have a tendency to do. And so being transparent with somebody is like, So, get this. Get rid of your canned prayers, your formula prayers. I know when you're a football team, you're like, "Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name." I I get that, but that shouldn't be your only prayers with God. Praying before meals, God blesses food in my body for nourishment. I prayed that prayer way too much because He really did bless it to (laughs) my body. You know, I mean, someone made us aware. Hey, don't ask God to bless it to your body, you know. I mean, Aaron even prayed this one day God, I need some biceps. Bless it to my biceps, okay? All right? To my leg power. All this stuff, you know. But the idea, even, you know, being transparent, being transparent with God, being open and honest with God. God, I'm really ticked at you right now. You're like, oh, I don't want to disrespect God. I think God already knows that. I mean, think about this. You can be praying, you know, God, I'm mad. God, I've sinned. God, I am lusting after so-and-so. It's not like God goes, what? I didn't know that. (laughs) I wish you would have never told me. Now I'm really mad at you. But isn't that how we respond, like, with our parents? Well, I can't tell my dad. He'll kill me. He might. But, I mean, just the idea. (laughs) Think about this, God. It's not like God doesn't know what's going on. Here's a newsflash. God knows. He wants you to be open and honest with him. Because that develops intimacy. God sent his son for you. God so wanted to be transparent with you that he sent Jesus to be born and live life here on earth for 33 years. It's documented how transparent he was so that you could be transparent with him. It's like, what do you think God's going to do? I'm going to kill you. We think that, don't we? If I walk into that church, I mean, I, God's going to zap me. because, Or the roof's going to cave in on the building if I walk in. That's the idea that some people have. That God's just ready to zap people. Oh, step that of line. You know? God could make you fear him. God could make you obey him. But God won't make you love him. Look at it like this. God didn't send his son for you to hold him at arm's length and go, Yeah, God, I believe and and I respect and and I I kind of get an idea what you did for me, but uh, I'm afraid to know you. I'm I'm afraid to know you. Because if I... if, If I... God, if I submit, man, can say the word. If I sum, submit to you, then what's going to happen to me? You know, I, I do premarital counseling a lot um, for couples. I tell them, you know, if you want me to do your wedding, then, uh, we need to have some meetings together. And uh, it's interesting. Uh, I've done 40-something weddings. Somebody asked me other day. Uh, or 40-something weddings, and uh, maybe 50, I don't kind of lost count there. But the idea is, how many times that ladies will ask me, do we have to have that word submit thing in there? No, you don't have to have it in there. But can I explain what that's about? And they're always like, sure. Get this, mutual submission is the most powerful, relationship dynamic in the world. Mutual submission is the most dynamic, most powerful dynamic in the world. Let me think about it like this. Mutual submission says, I am going to harness all my talent, all my abilities for your best interest. Whoever I am, whatever I am, all that I have, I'm going to harness all that power for your best interest. And mutual submission says that you're going to harness all your talents and all your abilities for my best interest. You know, we have a tendency in Ephesians chapter 5 to miss the most important verse when it starts talking about the relationship between the husband and wife. And even the Bibles have a break there for some reason. But the whole idea is that the the very most important verse says, Submit to one another. Submit to one another. The reason submitting to God scares you is because you don't know the Father. The reason submitting to God scares you to death is because you don't know the Father. Because we don't trust Him. Get this. God made the first move. God made the first move. Jesus died for you. Get that. I mean, let it soak in a second. God made the first move of submitting to your life by sending Jesus die for you. God said, I'm going to put your deal ahead of my deal. God says, I'm going to put my sin, or your sin, ahead of my glory. I'm going to be more concerned about your sin and your eternity than my comfort. God submitted to you so you could submit to God. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? God's going to send you to Africa? That God's going to make you sell everything that you have and follow him? If maximum freedom is submitting to the authority of God, you think God wants to cause pain in your life? You think God wants to hurt you? Do you think God wants to make you suffer? You, I mean, think about this. He sent His one and only Son to die on the cross for you. The Bible says it like this. He who knew no sin became sin. That lust you're struggling with, He became that. And He conquered it. So that you could have an intimate relationship with God. So you wouldn't be going after other things, but you'd be going after the heart of God. Because God's heart is going after you. The idea that, you know, it's like, God, i, I got to make a living. Do you think God doesn't want you to make a living? Do you think God doesn't want you to take your abilities and your talents and leverage them to do something bigger and greater than you? I mean, God designed you and He placed you and He put you right here and He gave your ability and your talent for you to leverage them for His glory, because He is leveraging His power and His authority for your glory. And He made the first move. You think God really wants you to suffer? Why do you think He went after Adam and Eve in the garden? When they sinned and they turned their back on God and they went and hid themselves, God was looking for them. Not because God has to have a relationship with them, because God wants to show them what his desire is for them in relationship that they can have with him that can be intimate and deep. God has so much more in store for you that if you'll back up the fear train and go, okay God, I'm going to submit to you because you submitted to God, I want you to be my Lord and control me. Because, because with what you've done for me, I'm going to try to harness my abilities and my talents for your glory. Doesn't that make sense? Doesn't it make it a little bit easier for you to go? Revelations chapter 3. Jesus said, I stand at the door of mine. I stand at the door of Waiting for you to invite me in so that you and I can develop an intimate relationship. I'm submitting to you by knocking on the door and waiting. Waiting for you to submit. Maybe you've never realized how much God loves you in that world. And just like the wives are like, do I really need to submit to my husband? Well, if he's harnessing all of his abilities and talents, and he's stepping out saying, I'm going to submit everything I have to you for for God to make you what, what he wants you to be. And I'm going to harness all my powers, all my abilities, all my talents to make that happen. Wouldn't you want to submit to something like that? To someone like that? when you realize that they have your best interest in in mind and not their own? And God asks the same thing. He says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. It says in John 10, 10, the thief comes and steals, kills, and destroys, but I have come to give you life and to the full. And you can develop a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've never done this. And, and Romans says real easy. If you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the controller of your life, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You, you shall start having that intimate relationship with God. Because he has your best interest in you. And when you get to know him, all of a sudden, everything that you do has his interest in you. It's like, God, I, I have a log skater. I drive a truck. I, I work at a plant. God goes, I know. I have you at this place. Okay, God, what do you want me to do here? That's getting to know God because he'll go, see so-and-so? Love them. Help them. It was interesting. We were at the Ginger Park yesterday and we're walking around where the fireworks started. We're talking uh, to a couple and uh, you were there. And then uh, there was a lady with a stroller and all of a sudden it fell. And this hit me later. I was like, you know who responded? The mamas. The daddies were sitting there talking. Oh, the stroller fell. Let me go. The two ladies are like, oh, this has happened before. And immediately, not even thinking about it. Hey, can I help you? No, they, they didn't even ask for help. They had the other person's best interest in mind. We've seen that before. We jumped down. They took care of it. Well of the two guys was just still talking. Didn't break a breath, you know. Yeah, it is but the two moms were like, yeah, we've been there before. We, we, we know what that's like. Here, let us help Didn't ask. Didn't invade. But they knew. God has you and he's placed you. He'll show you. Because you're going to run across people where you've been there, you've done that, you own the t-shirt to it, and you're like, yeah, let me help you. I know what that's like. I know where that road leads. Let, let, me, let me show you what God's done about. So take a moment. Take some time. Be transparent with God and submit to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you for the opportunity that you've even just allowed us to have a relationship. With you. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to not be like this church and to see Lord, but that that we would not think we have it all together. That that Lord. We know where we're coming from we we know that we don't have really anything to offer you but what you're offering us help us to take that and leverage it for your honor and your glory, so that we can know you better and know how to build your kingdom enjoy the rest of your weekend don't forget to pray for keith who's in alaska uh lana who's in arizona should be heading back on uh, Thursday, he's going to be there up, there, uh, up until the 1st of August. And uh, have a great week.